Welcome to the Holy Conundrums podcast, where we talk about church problems and sensible solutions. If you've heard me speak before on the subject of young people leaving the church, I believe that this is perhaps the most important problem to address in the church today. It is a problem that is causing all kinds of consternation within the church. And I am joined today, like if you are troubled by the fact that young people are leaving the church, you're going to want to hear this podcast because I am joined today by Addie Krogert, who is the director and founder of Oot Feedem, a Catholic campus ministry based out of Dowling Catholic High School in Des Moines, Iowa. And they are absolutely crushing it. And so I'm really blessed and excited to have the conversation that we are having today. Welcome, Addie, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Full disclosure, we did this once already, and the audio didn't record for some reason. So yeah, anyway, thanks for coming back, and I appreciate it. Yes. Um, So real quick, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we get into your actual ministry. How long have you been working with Utfidem and with Dowling Catholic, and how did you get engaged in that ministry? Yeah, so I'm actually an alumni from Dowling Catholic High School, graduated in 2011, went off to school for business. The Lord took me through a crazy road, ended up teaching high school English with my business major. And then from there, I got connected with Utfidem when they were just starting. And so taking my business background with my teaching. And then they provided some evangelization training through Focus for me. And of course, Everett, your help was huge at the beginning too. And so yeah, I got hired with Dowling. This is my sixth school year with Utfidem. And it's just been wonderful. I never thought I would be coming back (laughs) to Dowling, let alone Iowa. But it truly has been the biggest adventure of my life thus far. So praise God. Out of curiosity, and this is off subject, but you got a business degree and then you taught English in high school and now you're working in ministry. Are you ever wondering like, what the heck did I do with my business degree? Or like, like how does that road end up where you ended up? Well, it's kind of hilarious actually, because I feel like we were starting a ministry from scratch. And so there were so many things that I needed that were essential from my business degree that the Lord knew I would need it. And then additionally, as we've started to really grow within Dowling, we've had other high schools start to reach out. And specifically, my major was in international business. And that was talking about how do we take a current business and adapt it to a brand new culture? Well, I think eventually we do bring them to other schools. That's exactly what we'll be doing. Every culture is going to be very different, school to school, state to state, whatever. So I actually think the Lord gave me pretty unconventional ministry experience, but he gave me everything I was going to need. Yeah. Excited to see how God uses it, but I guess it'll come to fruition eventually. It's funny how he works and the like not straight paths that people take getting involved in ministry. I'll give a little bit of background because you mentioned that I was involved early in the process. So I I run an apostolate in Drew Ministries where I do consulting work on small group discipleship-based youth ministry. And Dowling approached me back in, I think it was like 2017 or so, and said basically they had a group of people that were disturbed by the fact that young people were leaving the church, had an idea of wanting to start small group discipleship. Really, they started by approaching parishes, and none of the parishes would take them up on it. So they approached the high school, and the high school was intrigued by the idea. But they basically wanted to found a campus ministry within the campus ministry where they were being intentional about focusing on discipleship. And then uh, then they wanted to measure the results and compare it to 
whether or not it was working or not in terms of making lifelong Catholics, which was the goal. So small groups, they got connected to me. We ended up hiring you where you had a unique role where you were working within the campus ministry in a new department starting from scratch, even though the campus ministry wasn't from scratch. I mean, tell us a little bit about your role in the early days of Utfidim. Yeah, and maybe I'll explain kind of like the landscape of what Dowling looked like before I came on. So we had, I would say, really effective theology classes, teaching the faith in terms of knowledge for sure. And our kids passing their classes, they could tell you what the Catholic Church believed for sure. It was another story if they believed it, right? Additionally, we had really strong retreat programs. So we have class retreats for every single grade. Specifically, I would say our junior retreat Kairos was really powerful. Kids are coming off of that, you know, on their Jesus high, whatnot. But like many retreats, you see that retreat high come down eventually. And then it was kind of up in the air, which students would actually continue following this path and which ones wouldn't. And so we just saw still this gap between head and heart knowledge, head knowledge and actual belief. We have these vehicles for powerful encounter, but then no one's picking them up afterwards. No one's actually accompanying these students and showing them how to actually live and integrate faith into their daily routines, their daily life in a really authentic way. So that's how it was before we ever came in. And that's the gap we were trying to fill. Original idea really was, this is what discipleship is by definition. We need to put these young people in relationship with active Catholic adult mentors so that they have a small group of peers to run alongside of them and a mentor to actually show them what the lived faith looks like, which is by definition, that's what discipleship is. And that was what they identified as a missing element And I want to get into the early days of how you started, but just to give people an idea of where you guys have landed now in at the end of 2022 school year, how many small groups do you have? Like, tell us the results so people can hear like just how ridiculously successful your ministry is. Yeah. So we're a school of about 1400 students. Last school year, we ended the year with 62 small groups that were meeting every single week for an hour each week with every group had their own adult mentor. I think that came out to be 333 students, which I thought was just kind of a Jesus number. I was like, wow, Lord, (laughs) pretty exact there. It was incredible. And it was almost a fourth of our student body. And one thing that was interesting about that, though, was that almost any student that was involved in any type of leadership were involved in Oopfidum. And we had a higher percentage of upperclassmen to underclassmen. And so you would really just see that while it was only a fourth of the student body or so, its effects were we went wide. You could really feel a change in our school. One thing that I hear from a lot of people is that it seems within our school in just six years or five years at that point, that faith has become normalized. It's not weird for students to stop in the chapel, to sign up to go to reconciliation, go to mass, just even like talk to their friends about their relationship with God. Of course, they're still cheap to be found, so to speak, Within the student body, it's not like we've reached every student yet, but if you are seeking it, it's easy to find now where that was not the case at the beginning. And then your group did something that I've never seen done before because, I mean, tell us real quick what Utfidum means. Utfidum comes from the phrase Utfidum Teneamus, which means essentially to hold on to faith. And it all comes from to Timothy of desiring to keep the faith for the rest of their lives, especially through college. The whole idea of wanting to do something specifically within Dallin Catholic High School came from a parent and a grandparent who just saw student after student, kid after kid, 
walk away from their faith when they got to college. Initially, it was, how do we help these students keep their faith throughout college? When we started the ministry, though, we started to realize a lot of these students don't even have it yet in terms of that heart matter, in terms of that their own relationship with God. And so still to this day, our mission is to help students keep the faith after they graduate. That begins by connecting them to the person of Jesus Christ now. I was referring to, you guys hired a third-party firm to actually survey the students each year. You did a four-year study to find out where the alumni, well, here, take us through the study. <laughs> I can explain it, but why don't you set us up on it and tell us the results of it? For sure. Yeah. So basically the study was set up, it was done by C1C Consulting, who's a research arm of Pew Research. We wanted it to be an external company just because, well, people say, if we ourselves say how good our results are, we think it's more believable if it's someone who really has no interest and if it works or doesn't work right. But basically what it was, we surveyed over four years, five different groups of Oopedum graduates that were now in college. And we just asked them questions about their current faith practices all the way through their senior year of college. Were they going to mass regularly? Were they praying regularly? Had they gotten involved in Catholic communities? on their campus. While it's hard to quote unquote measure faith, there are things that are indicators of whether someone is still connected. One statistic I thought was incredible was by senior year of college of our Oopedum graduates, 59% were still actively going to mass four times a month. Like you said, that was still with COVID right there in the middle. That was at the beginning, we weren't doing as much work to help transition students to college like we are now. I'd love to see what those statistics are now, but even still, close to 60% of those who went through UPDM versus graduated through Catholic high school but didn't go through UPDM, right? 60% were still actively engaged in their mass practice. And as well, all of our UPDM graduates were more likely to be praying regularly, to be involved in a Catholic ministry, and ultimately to claim that they were active practicing Catholics. It was pretty significant. We were honestly kind of blown away. I will say, because I got to see the study results as well, and a couple of the stats that stood out to me is just even after year one, where most Catholic young people leave the faith after year one of college, I believe the statistic, I mean, there were a lot of different measures, but even just the identifies as an active Catholic, 95% of the Udfidim graduates after year one were still identifying as active Catholics versus you also surveyed students who were part of Dowling that were not in Udfidim, and I think it was only like 52%. So there was just this Grand Canyon size difference. And around the country, I mean, it's roughly 90% leave the faith after their first year of college. To me, I was like, whoa, that's a reverse statistic. Like you just took a really bad statistic and flipped it. And then even after COVID and even after um, four years of college, you still had 59% that were still going to weekly mass. And I mean, you saw the studies and every single measure was that the Utfidum graduates were much further along in the disciplines of their faith than those who were not. Couldn't have said it better myself. I will frequently point to this study when I'm showing people the results of discipleship. Yeah, and it's one thing to see the numbers. It's another thing to see the students come back. Last year was our fifth year, so it was the first year we were able to actually see some of our Upedum graduates now coming back to Des Moines and mentoring for us. And it's just kind of coming full circle. And so I just think long-term, A, this ministry is going to fuel itself, but B, these students are preparing themselves to continue their faith in college, but also to then get 
plug back into parishes and give back to what they receive. It's funny. I will actually talk to people in the Iowa area and now like everybody knows Utfidum. Like you guys are the hub for like Catholic ministry. And I recall there was some sort of forum where I was posting something about the results that you were having. And some priest in the area was like, hey, I can testify. Like there was a pastor at a local parish that says, I can testify to the results that I see from Utfidum in my own parish community of like the graduates from Dowling and how they have become active and engaged, et cetera, which typically you don't hear that kinds of testimonies coming from a pastor. I mean, I will frequently say, hey, if you want to see a group that is killing it, that is really successful, I will point to Utfidum because it's just like, it's become this, nobody can see my hands because it's a podcast, but it's become this like ripple. I'm like, I'm doing this ripple motion. It's become this ripple effect that is affecting like not just now the high school, but the Catholic community at large in the area. That just reminds me, we did not start this big. (laughs) People had no idea who we were when we started. And I think that's because from your advice, you really told us start small and let the Holy Spirit grow it big. Um, and just concentrate on every single small group that it actually is doing what you intend it to do to connect the person to Jesus Christ. That I mean, if they're actually meeting that person of God, their lives are going to be transformed. It's going to go so deep. It's not going to be just surface oriented, right? They're naturally going to start telling other people about it. And so when we first started, obviously we had zero groups. I started in July. We didn't even have a first small group until October. I was prepping mentors and really building a prayer team. That's the real fuel to this whole thing. So first group started in October. I think it was by December, we had four groups. And then by May of that first school year, we had 17. And so you could just see it rippling out with even in the school, let alone now year five, we had 62 small groups. Naturally, some of those graduate off each year. and We start a little bit lower and then we build back up. But I think right now, year six, we're at around 50 small groups. Yeah, you guys are slacking. You went down from 62 to 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we went down to about, I don't know, 40, 41, 42. About 20 of those groups graduated. Now we're back up to 50 after one semester. So we're starting more than one group a month at least. So praise God. It's amazing. So yeah, if people wanted to start, because I want to get into the growth tactics a little bit and just how word spread. But if people wanted to start, you said you started four small groups I know that there will be people who are listening to this saying, like, how do I find 60 plus leaders? I want to get into that as well. But even just like the early days of starting, I think you have like an interesting story that you shared with me about a young man that you were praying about. And it was perhaps for the first group you were trying to get off the ground. But tell us about like the early days of just trying to get started. Yeah. So coming into this ministry with a business degree, teaching experience, not really any real ministry experience. And I said, okay, God, this has to be completely yours because I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> And so I just really trusted that if God wanted this ministry, he would make it happen. He would be the one that would bring me the right mentors. He would be the one that would bring me the right students. And so I just really was intentionally praying, God, bring them to me. And lo and behold, the Lord was already setting the stage at Dowling before I had even gotten there. The chaplain at the time was already walking with a group of young adult men. So when I got hired and said, hey, I want to start like a mentoring, small group ministry type, youth ministry, whatever, the chaplain came to me and said, oh, I already have a group of men that could be really great mentors. And so I already was introduced to some great men right off the bat, was meeting women as well. From there, I was like, okay, we have mentors, Lord bring me the students. And I had been gone for six years. I really didn't know a a single soul in that school student-wise when I moved back. 
And so to meet students, I put on this night, literally just adoration, just put people in front of Jesus, right? And at the night, we had maybe 30 students show up. So that alone, praise God, that 30 students showed up to a night just to be in front of the Eucharist. They never really had done anything quite like that before in just such a simple fashion. And I remember at that night, there was a student that got up out of his pew, walked right in front of the monstrance, kneeled down and just in the center aisle was just kneeling down. And I was like, I was in the back moderating the whole event. And I said, prayer is just like, God, who is that? If he's supposed to be a part of Utfidam and the start, just literally bring him to me because yeah, it's in your hands. Literally the next day, that was on a Sunday night, Monday morning, I share an office with a couple of teachers at this point in the ministry. And lo and behold, that student who I noticed walked right into my office. And I had never seen this student before. You know, I've been at the school, what, three months, August, September, October. He comes right into my office in the morning and I'm almost like, oh my gosh, Lord, like, that's the kid. That's the kid. And I give the worst invitation I've ever given. It was so messy and just like, hey, I'm starting something. Do you want to be a part of it? Like, it was terrible, which speaks to the Holy Spirit, not me. But the kid said, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's something I'd be interested in. And I was like, great. And I said, do you have friends that you think you'd want to do it with? And he said, yeah, I think I might. This is the first group. We did it a little different than what we do now. But I said, why don't I introduce you to this mentor who I think would be a good fit with you? And already from the night before, it's like the Lord put this mentor's name immediately on my head for that kid. Like it was so obvious. So we set up this meeting in one of the study halls for this kid to meet this potential mentor and for his friends to meet him and just hear about what this ministry would actually look like. The door opens. I'm already there with the mentor. The student walks in along with 15 of his friends, 16 senior male students, all on the football team. Turns out the student I had been talking to was the quarterback of the football team. And I had no idea. Super honest. I had no idea. And right then and right there, All of a sudden, our ministry wasn't just for, quote unquote, the ministry kids. It was for everybody. By this student's example, and the Holy Spirit brought the person that needed to be essentially kind of like the influencer for the rest of the school. And to this day, I mean, we touch students in every single type of activity. Now, every single grade, obviously, both boys and girls, the Lord made it happen. He brought them to us. We couldn't have made this stuff up. (laughs) The other thing that people will be listening to that are wondering, because you have 60 plus small groups, which means you have well over 60 leaders, and they would be wondering, it's like, where in the world do you find all these capable people? What's your recruitment strategy, et cetera? You said in the beginning, you inherited something just naturally from your chaplain, but it's like, okay, then this thing starts to spread. Students start to get wind of it. And next thing you know, you go from four groups to 17 within a year's time. And Addie, where'd you find all your leaders and how did you prepare them? Yeah. So something about Ufidam is we really strive to find people who already have encountered the person of Jesus Christ. So we're not trying to give our mentors that. They've been formed elsewhere. So you're right. We have to find people that are in a position to give because they already have received. And like you said, yeah, the small group that my chaplain was leading, I think was like five or six guys. But yeah, 17 is a bigger number than six. I would say I can't emphasize enough prayer, just simply prayer. Every time I pray, I swear in the readings that day, it says the harvest is plenty, the labors are few. Ask the Father to send more labors, right? And every time I pray or our coordinators pray, people come out of the woodwork. So on a spiritual means, 
prayer, but obviously natural means there's got to be other ways. I think holy people come in packs quite simply. And so we kind of follow the rabbit hole. You know, if John Doe or whatever is amazing, epic leader, he probably hangs out with other people that are holy. And we just kind of follow the lines. We also, especially at the beginning, I mean, I moved back to Moine. I didn't really know that many people that were practicing the faith. I started just going places where I knew people would be practicing the faith, like daily mass (laughs) or I don't know, young adult events, places where I could meet people. And I think this was important. I wouldn't just invite someone to the ministry because they were practicing their faith or because they were quote unquote holy. I always kind of waited for that Holy Spirit tap, like, hey, this person specifically. Because something we believe about our ministry is that someone's not going to be called, quote unquote, to oot fidem. They're called to walk with specific students in the school at that time. God has given that particular mentor something that some of those students particularly are going to need. And that just because John Doe has some experience doesn't mean every single student needs those exact same experiences. So every mentor to student pairing is really carefully discerned and prayed about. And I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. And I also know that like, just in terms of growth and you made mention that like now the ministry is pretty well known and you even have alumni that are coming back and beginning to give back to the ministry. Your leaders did a lot of your recruiting too, correct? Like as you grew. You mean like our adult leaders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know at least in our conversations, I mean, you kind of alluded to it that you said holy people run in packs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, it eventually got to a point where the leaders were doing a lot of the recommending. Yeah, we would just ask our current mentors like, hey, would your wife be interested? Or how about your best friend? Whatever. But I would also say, I can't emphasize enough how many times the Holy Spirit has just brought someone So we recruit people, we train them, and then we kind of wait for the right students to come for the right mentor. And so I remember, for example, there was this one group of girls that came and I had like, I don't know, four or five female mentors available, but it just none really felt right. And so I just went to the chapel and I was like, okay, God, like, again, I know you have someone in mind. I'm giving you two weeks, like, because I don't want to make these students wait too long to get started. You know, I've got to strike when the iron's hot, but bring me the right mentor. I don't feel at peace with any of these current mentors. Not joking you. It was like two days later, this girl calls me, former focus missionary. She was from Minnesota, but she was moving to Iowa from Colorado. She was working at a pro-life clinic in Des Moines. And she said, hey, I randomly heard about your ministry. I'd like to get involved. I'd really love a way to give. Turns out she did every activity that this group of students were actively involved in. And it was like, she was a mirror of these girls five years down the line. And I was like, that's the perfect mentor for this group. There's just a natural relatability that was going to exist. And so I can't tell you how many times like people come out of the woodwork. They really do. And I had someone hear about us on the radio and like randomly call me up before. I've had, I gave a talk one time and this random parent that was in, the audience heard about it and she's been amazing. No scripture, like the back of her hand. There are people that we knew beforehand and then there are people that we had no connection with and God just brings them to us in the right time. So it's his work. It's not ours. (laughs) I know that I have had experiences where one story comes to mind where I was meeting with a group of parents and we were talking about getting a small group together with their teens because I do a lot of conversations with parents 
I want parents on board when I build small groups. And so I had a couple of leaders in my back pocket already in mind for this group of girls that we were trying to get a group going with. And I talked to the mom and she said, who do you have in mind? And I said, well, I'd love for you to speak into this, but here's a couple of people that I have in mind. She's like, oh, I know those two young ladies. They're great. Catholic women and they'd be terrible with my daughter. And I was like, oh, okay, like, good to know. Um, I will keep them in my back pocket for someone else. And she said, I've got a couple of girls in mind. And I asked for their names. And she said, well, they just started coming to my like endowed Bible study just randomly. Like they just showed up one day. They were students at the Denver University down the street. Didn't know these young women, never met them, et cetera. I had her get in touch with them and then put me in touch with them. And next thing I know, they were like, yeah, sure, we'd love to mentor these girls. They became two of my best small group leaders like ever. And it was interesting because it was like they were not on my radar whatsoever. I always say to people, like, building small group dynamic is messy. Like, you're trying to find people that can share intimately with one another. And you could have really devout Catholics and really amazing teenagers, and they just do not mesh because they're not the right fit for one another. Something I normally pray before I even invite a mentor, I say, okay, God, you know who's supposed to mentor at this time. Start putting this desire on potential mentors' hearts that they want to give in some way, that they want to work with high school students, that they feel a desire for discipleship so that when you introduce me to this potential mentor, they tell me, I've already been praying for something like this. And we're an answered prayer (laughs) to their prayer. And I feel like most of the time when we go meet a brand new mentor we've never met before, that's what they say. They say, I've been looking for something like this. I've been looking for a way to give. I've been asking the Lord to use me, right? And then here we come in and I I say, okay, I think this might have been the Lord's desire then, not simply ours. Yeah. We're at about 30 minutes, but I want to ask you at least one more question because there are going to be listeners who are going to ask like, okay, so what do your small groups do? I know the foundation of a lot of small groups is Bible study, and that's a good thing, but that's not like doing a Bible study in and of itself is not discipleship. So like, what's the meeting style of your small groups? Sure. So our meeting style comes from kind of the Y Disciple format. They use just a very simple format of connecting, discussing, committing. So connecting, you have to begin every group actually just building authentic relationship with the students, right? And so sometimes the groups do highs and lows, but a lot of times they're just catching up on the week and being friends. (laughs) The second part is that discussion, right? There's always a topic. There's always some type of starter spark resource, you could call it, that's going to kick off your conversation. Maybe that is a physical study that you would think of, or definitely scripture or a podcast that everyone listened to at the beginning of the week. But there's something that's going to kind of kick off this conversation that the group will be able to speak into. And then to follow, commit. We don't want the group to just stay within the group. We want to start transcending into the students' daily lives and the mentors' daily life. And so what are they going to commit to that week? That's going to be, it's not homework. (laughs) It's not going to be a huge time sucker, but it's something small based off of what was being talked about in the group meeting time for them to continue doing outside of the group. So a super small example of a commit would be, I don't know, my girls were talking about I know I can encounter God when I go to the chapel. I encounter God when I take active time to pray, but I'm struggling to see him in my daily life. Okay. Maybe that's what the conversation was about. The commit would be beginning of each day that week. They're going to, before they do anything else, they're going to get out of bed, get on their knees. And they're going to say one to two sentence prayer of Lord, let me see you today in every person I meet in every situation I 
and involved in. Amen. And then over the course of a year, every week you're doing these new commits, you're giving them tools, you're building their tool belt to live this Catholic faith on their own when they do go off to college or to whatever life takes them, if it's not college. I will say this, all of our groups do have, quote unquote, a starter study that kicks our groups off. We want there to be time for the mentor to start getting to know the students before they're given a little bit more free range. And so right now we're using the search by Chris Stefanik. All of the star studies we've ever used always represent the gospel in a way that will have the students start to say, but what does this mean for my life specifically? All of them have heard the gospel, but not all of them have actually asked that question. And we have used different starter studies throughout the five years. This is the one that we see works best right now for our population. And I will also say our mentors are not empty handed. We have, we call it a resource bucket and it's divided up into discipleship threshold. So is someone more at initial trust? Is someone more at a stage of maturing in their faith? We can push them a little bit more. And then our mentors can just go in, kind of file through these resources that we have kind of collected and say, what would be the best fit for my group right now? And so our groups are actually answering the questions that the students are actually asking versus following some curriculum that quote unquote Addie Kroger made up. Like (laughs) we want to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Yeah. I always say to people, we do a tremendous job of answering the questions that teens do not have and that you don't really want to be following a curriculum and get yourself in a position where kids are asking, does God really exist? And yet what you're covering is the sacrament of anointing of the sick, because that's what your curriculum told you to cover that, that week. Like it doesn't make sense. I will say real quick that there was during the pandemic in particular, when everybody was locked down and isolated and you couldn't go anywhere and school was online, et cetera, gathered ministry fell apart. And I remember thinking I should give Addie a call because I'm curious. I bet nothing has changed for them because your whole method of ministry is built on relationships and you had pre-established relationships prior to the pandemic. And now all of a sudden there's this huge felt need of, I need relationships because I'm isolated. And I remember calling you up and talking to you and you said, oh yeah, nothing's changed for us. Like our ministry is going just as strong as ever because the relationships were already established. So moving that over to Zoom became actually like a feeding point for those students in that time period. Like, I mean, just real quick, like what did the pandemic look like for you guys? Yeah. I mean, we didn't start very many new groups, but every group that already existed continued meeting every single week, their hour a week over Zoom until we were allowed, I think by summer, our school allowed us to meet in parking lots and lawn chairs, (laughs) socially distanced in circles, whatever. But yeah, our groups continued to meet. And then when we came back that fall, we were still kind of on this weird schedule where only half the population would come each day so that the classrooms would be half full and whatever. And we saw massive increases there. We were one of the only activities, clubs, sports that were even allowed to continue meeting. And so we actually grew in 2020 fall quite tremendously, I would say. And then, yeah, in like the really heat of the pandemic, when we were all quarantined, our group still had an outlet. And I think in that time, people really started to say like, I actually need God. And so we had the ability to to speak into that versus to stop. Yeah, I liken Utfidum to, it's like the, the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which 
ever since that became a Broadway musical, it's now like in my head, it's the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. There's a, a reality that it's like, I knew a lot of ministries that fell apart during the pandemic. I knew quite a few that survived during the pandemic and created alternatives to their ministry and did something. But I don't know many that grew and thrived during the pandemic. And you guys like actually grew and thrived. And it was like the story of Joseph is he had these dreams. He told Pharaoh, hey, yeah, things are good now, but there's a seven-year famine coming. And they were prepared for the famine. And then when the famine hit, like nothing was different for them. In fact, they became the hub for everyone to go to to get their food. And that's like what Utfidum ended up as in Dowling Catholic. I think something to mention too. So you talked about having authentic relationships. So something we really strive for and not perfectly, but we strive to start every single small group based out of the students' pre-existing friend groups. And I think that's just so important. A, you just have grace builds on nature. There's already natural bonds. There's already trust. These are already the people that the students are choosing to hang out with. I think it's really easy for a student to show up to a youth group, put on their Jesus hat, but then go back to their quote unquote real friends and take that Jesus hat right off. And all of a sudden, all these things that they're being transparent about in their faith meeting, they have to hide again with their friends they're actually hanging out with. Well, if we start these encounters with God and this transformation and we're challenging to practice these things with the people they're already spending time with, how much easier will this actually transcend into their daily lives? And these are the friends they most likely will stay in contact with after high school. So you're building in accountability and people that they can continue connecting with on the faith after high school ends. I'm looking at them like we're at 40 minutes, which normally I try to keep them to like 30 minutes, but you guys are just killing it so much. I just keep on asking questions. Other high schools are contacting you guys now. So like Utfidim is beginning the conversation about spreading to other schools. Like just real quick, what does that look like? And where can people find information about you guys? Yeah. So if anyone's interested in just like learning more information, seeing if we might be a good fit for their school, I would just encourage you to go to utfidem.org, U-T-F-I-D-E-M dot org and there will be an inquiry spot for potential high schools to reach out what we'd love to do is work with the school to train their coordinator that would oversee the whole ministry we would provide them with all the resources from our mentor agreement permission slips that resource bucket we were talking about and everything in between there's so many things on the back end of this ministry that we would be able to provide and then let alone just accompaniment we've been able to navigate through quite a few situations over the six years, some of those piloting, figuring out what doesn't work and figuring out what does work. And we'd love to just become partners in helping this model. I would say this Jesus's model work at your school. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, We will put a link to udfeedem.org in the description of this podcast. And so that people can find you easier and contact you. And I mean, even your staff has grown, like everything about what you guys are doing, you're in a position to just blow up. So I would encourage anybody that's listening, especially if you're at a Catholic high school, to contact Utfidum and contact Addie Kroger about bringing this model to your respective schools. Anything else people should know about you, where they can contact you and find you? I think Utfidum might have an Instagram or something. We actually have our Utfidum alumni that are in college run that Instagram. So you can kind of see how they're keeping the faith in college and some of the events that we do here and there. But yeah, look us up on Instagram, look us up online. We'd be happy to get in touch. Cool. Thanks, Addie, so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.